Hello! Welcome to Slate Money Travel. Yes, this is Tuesday, or at least it came out on Tuesday. I don't know when you're listening to it, but this is a very special Slate Money Travel episode of Slate Money. It's a little mini-series that we're doing all about the economics and business and finance and just general everything of travel. But mainly what it is is an excuse to bring Kathy O'Neill back onto Slate Money. Kathy, you're here. I'm here. Welcome. Thank you so much. I miss you guys. What are we going to talk about today? I think we're going to talk about over-traveling and how to do it right. You've been traveling too much. Way much. Way too much. And you are sick of the business class lifestyle. Okay. Yeah, make it sound pretty bad. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so we're gonna. Laugh There's downsides at you. to business class. We're gonna talk about the downsides to business class. We're gonna talk about um, the one time that you wanted to eat food, which was so amazing that, like, yeah, you. It's not gonna come as a surprise because this is the country with the best food in the world. It's true. Um, we're gonna talk about how much you love Paris. We're gonna talk about how to pronounce the airport in Amsterdam. Uh, we are going to talk about peanut butter crackers. This is going to be so good. It's going to be a fun show because it has Kathy O'Neill on it, and Kathy O'Neill is the best person. So welcome, Kathy. Thank you. We are going to talk about the jet-setting life of the one and only Kathy O'Neill coming up on Slate Money Travel. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. Kathy O'Neill, you did not go to Davos. It's true. I skipped. Neither did I. I mean, I feel really good about us. I feel like we made the right decision. I feel like maybe, you know, all those stories they said, like, peak Davos has passed. I think that was because of us. It was, yeah. The minute I stopped going, (laughs) it became irrelevant. I kind of feel that way. I, I was never invited until this year, so I can't really say I contributed a lot um, to its demise. <laughs> you, you you participated in a handful of Davos podcasts from the warmth of a New That's York true. studio. That's true. I do. I feel, I feel like I was in collusion. You colluded with the Davos industrial elite. <laughs> 
It's true. And uh, no more. And this is actually a, this is actually germane to our topic of conversation. The reason why you didn't go to Davos, right, is well, it's multi multifaceted. Um, but one of them was simply that they just did not offer me good accommodations. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It was outrageous what they were suggesting for my travel and for my stay. And also, basically, I mean, I don't know how it really is set up. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But my understanding is, like, if you're fancy, you don't have to pay. If you're not fancy, you have to pay. And if you're really, really not fancy, they just make you work for free. And that was, like, my level. I was going to, you know, work for them. And Everyone pays in one way or another. Exactly, Yes. Um, so my job was to like go um, like be essentially like unpaid, talk about how we shouldn't get too excited about artificial intelligence um, and not be invited to the parties where the fancy people talk about how they're going to replace their workforces with artificial intelligence. That was my job. And I was like, I don't really love that job. Um, also, you're trying to you're trying to like put me in a hotel, which is like 40 minutes away from anything. And I'm I'm just really bad with that that plan, especially because, as I think you know, I've told you this. I'm a napper. I nap. I'm Napping like, is important, especially when there's a, a lot of jet lag situations. You know, so I was like, I need a place to nap. So tell me where I can nap at Davos. If you're going to put me in a hotel for a 40 minute drive from the frickin' place, then at least give me a was place to nap. Was it in Wolfgang? Or like in clusters, something or, like clusters. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't remember exactly. There's like, oh, there's a shuttle bus. It runs every 25 minutes, and it takes 25 minutes. I was like, no, no, that's not, not okay. It's, it's, it's not nap convenient. It's super not. And and I was just like, but you know what? I can just sleep at you know in in a you know in a corner somewhere. I was like desperate. I was like on my <laughs> knees, like let me just fall asleep there. And they're like, no, that's that would be inappropriate. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that the. the if everyone is tired, which everyone is, yes. because they stay up super late. Right, and they also wouldn't parties. let me come a day early. They wouldn't let me do they that. They wouldn't let no. you do that to get over jet lag. If you wanted right. to come a day early, yeah. you'd need to sort of work out Well, they your said own I situation. could do it, but it would cost approximately $1,000 for me. You would have to pay. Yeah, I'd have to pay. Yeah. Yeah. And not to mention that, like, they're not paying for my meals. I understand it's like a $50 hamburger at Davos. The hamburgers can get expensive. I mean, possibly I could just live on the cheese and other free nibbles. I assume that they exist everywhere. It's entirely possible to go the week of Davos without spending a single cent on anything. Yeah. I mean, look, I could have gone, but I was just like, why should I make you feel better? I felt like I'm I'm officially window dressing and I get that. Um, but I'm also like, I, I, need to, I need to take naps. I mean, it's just like my bottom line. But just to be clear here, they were actually going to fly you over business class. But not direct. But not direct. <laughs> but not direct. That's the other thing. I was like, what? Like, no, I, I get a fly direct. I'm not going to, like, get stuck in some random place, which is my Shiffle. experience every single time you go. You, you, wind up, you wind up missing your connection in Schiphol, and then you're stuck in Schiphol. <laughs> oh, my God. Is that a place? That's a massive airport in Amsterdam. Oh, you mean Schiphol? Oh, okay. Schiphol. You're, you're married very, to a Dutchman. I, I should know how that... I, I at the very least, you have to acknowledge the P that is in that. You just said Schiphol. Like I, thought, it was I, thought like, it, I thought the PH like was... Like a hole. It's not it's pole. Schiphol. Schiphol. Okay. Okay, so the first thing that we have learned on this podcast is how to pronounce Schiphol. <laughs> very good. Um, which just I Just like if, you, if you're hawking a beluga, you're doing it right. <laughs> Okay, so are there any other airport pronunciations I should know about? Oh, oh, you know what? That was like my only one. You, you found out. <laughs> it. 
So, but I'm I'm fascinated by this because I think there is this general feeling in the ether, and I think you've picked up on this on your blog that if someone comes along to you and offers you thousands of dollars worth of business class travel and a hobnobby experience atop an Alp, that this is something which obviously you would accept because it's so glamorous. And you're here to tell us there's nothing glamorous about it. I mean, I didn't go, so I really can't tell you how unglamorous it is. But you have done a bunch of business class travel now that you're yeah. a glamorous person right right i i do i'm on the talking circuit you're, is on, what the, I am. you're on the speaker circuit the speaker you have a speaking circuit. agent i have an agent and the thing that agents always do is they insist on first class airfare everywhere or at least well, domestically. business class business, business, business class yeah um i've never flown, flown first class international no that's when you get your own personal masseuse i believe <laughs> never seen that oh you've never got a massage on an airplane oh my god no no but or, I have fantasies about it. Like, don't get me wrong. <laughs> if you got a massage on an airplane, would that actually make it better than staying at home watching, tel- no. watching television? I mean, that's what it comes down to. Thank you, Felix. That's exactly the right frame, which is that when you're when you're flying, no matter how nice the food is, you're you know you're exhausted. You're going somewhere where you don't know anyone. You have no friends. You feel lonely. Um, you're overfull. Like they feed you too much. You they f- make give you way too much alcohol, which you drink because you're lonely and alone and exhausted. Um, and you end up just sort of like, why? Why am I not at home with my kids? Like yelling at me, you know. You, you just realize like the worst you, you moment of your the family value life of having your kids yelling at you. Yeah, and you're like, I would much rather have my kids yell at me than have some. Trolley Dolly coming up asking me if I want my 14th gin and tonic. Exactly. Exactly. 14th is the number I always had in mind. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's, it sounds like such a, such a crappy, you know, complaint. And it really is. And it, because I do get paid for those things. It, it's kind of a first world problem. It's a first world problem. And by the way, I really should be spending way more time feeling ashamed of my, my footprint. Your carbon my footprint. My carbon footprint, which is horrible. Okay. So let me, let me do a little detour here. Yeah. What's your opinion um, of the relative carbon footprint between mm-hmm. someone sitting in business and someone on the same flight sitting in coach? Do they have the same carbon footprint or does the business class passenger have a larger carbon footprint? I guess it depends on a lot of ways of thinking about that question. Since I'm a modeler, I will throw out a few of them. Is it the sort of floor space that you in- inhabit or are, is every plane going to be assumed to have some business class and some other seats, you know, in, that, in which case... You could, you could or could not account for that. Probably much more meaningful would be your weight. I think your weight is negligible in comparison to the weight of the airplane. But that's a good question. I know that if the airplane's small, that's not true at all. Like I've been on airplanes. Oh, and tiny little puddle jumpers. Yeah, they were. They'll weigh you. How much do you weigh? Yeah, get on the and you get on the scale and you're like, I don't want to look at what. Yeah, and And you get on the scale with all of your clothes and your luggage, and and you're like, this is how much I actually weigh. I'm like, woo! I shouldn't have brought that 25 pound ton of of bricks in my (laughs) luggage. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I mean. But you asked me to think about your carbon footprint. I mean, footprint, do you, do you so. think about your carbon footprint when you travel so much? Yes. Oh, yeah. And, and when you mentally think about your carbon footprint, do you mentally multiply it by a certain number in order to make up for the fact that you're a flying business? No, I don't do that. So my, my personal mental model doesn't uh, include that. I don't always fly business. But, but my, yeah. Because my, my mental model 
It's more like miles. I think about it in terms it's of miles. miles. Okay. Yeah. You think you think that there's a carbon emission sort of per air mile yeah. traveled. And so, you, yeah, you have kids and lots of air miles, which is just like the most lethal the combination. The, for, the only thing I can say for myself is that I don't own a car and I live in New York City. So in some ways, I'm less horrible, but not really. But not really. Um, okay. So flying business, at least in in Kathy's brain, yeah. doesn't necessarily kill the planet particularly badly, although... Um, versus flying versus flying coach. coach. So you, can, you don't feel too bad about asking for upgrades on that on that ground no um and it's actually maybe i should i mean like you're you're making me think because here's the thing here's the calculation i actually make which is if you fly me coach i simply won't go because it'll be so miserable and i won't be able to sleep at all and then i will hate my life and i'll regret it and you know i mean just like i won't go so business class makes it tolerable Will you fly coach on holiday? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So what makes it less miserable? How, why is it so much more miserable um, when you're on your own compared to when you have screaming kids? Well, first of all, my kids don't scream anymore oh, in good. an airplane. That's... They just scream at me at home, just okay. to, be cl- to clarify. Um, I think the real thing is that when you're on holiday, your your mindset is completely different, and you just you're enjoying yourself. You're 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 enjoying the experience itself. Do you enjoy the experience of sitting in an airplane to whatever destination you're flying off to, even if it's Schiphol? Even especially if it's Schiphol, because then we're visiting family. Yeah, we get to we get to plan the trip, and we're together. And being with somebody you love is like a thousand times better, no matter where you are, than being lonely. So basically, if I'm sitting in coach on my own, I have every right to feel sorry for myself. But if I'm sitting in coach next to someone I love, then I should just be very happy that I'm not alone in business. For sure. That's a very nice way of framing it. Yes. Look, I mean, I sometimes, as I said, I fly coach. I flew coach to San Francisco and back last week because my client is only willing to pay for that. And it didn't make me not do it. You know, I was like, okay. I but that's this about job. the limit of how far you'll go. To San Francisco? Yeah. Yeah, I don't mind coach um, domestic, basically. It's the intern- It's the f- it's the sleeping is could, the problem. Could, okay. It's well, actually, uh, you know, there's one there's one trip I won't make on coach domestic is for, is like a red eye. I can't I can't stand missing sleep. I'm so you took a very early flight back from San Francisco yeah, to New York, so that I get you, home by you midnight. You lost the whole day, but it's worth it. Yeah, exactly. If I offered you. That flight, because there's always one flight from, you know, New York to Schiphol, mm-hmm. which is the daytime flight. Would I've you do always, that, Coach? Always try to get that flight. I've never managed to get that flight. I've never. I. It's like there must be a lot of people like me. Um, I don't buy my tickets that well in advance, which is my mistake. But I have never been able to. It's always sold out. It's always sold out. Yeah, but I. I, I end up basically. I end up taking. Um, coach tickets with my family to Schiphol and then the first thing I do and I'm a neurotic person like you know me I'm a planner so what I'll do is I'll like (laughs) I will because the freaking hotels in Amsterdam and all over Holland will not let you check in early they will not this is this is true of the hotels in London I hate them so much in fact it's true of hotels all over the world it's just the only people who really realize it are the people who fly in on a red eye and then they get in at eight o'clock in the morning and then like i really need a shower and a bed and the hotel is like well you should have booked an extra night in that case no but i do sometimes book an extra night and even then they're like sorry you didn't show up 
So we gave your your room away. It's happened to me multiple times. So this is where I am right now. I'm just like, I guess the more I talk to you, the more I realize how crazy I am about (laughs) sleep. It is. It's for me. It's all about sleep. It's it's all about having a place to sleep. It's all about like I actually consider it torture to be th- that tired and not be able to lie down and take a nap. It's really hard. I, I cry. C- I can tell you that the two most vivid memories I have of business travel were both instances: one in Brazil and one in Paris, where I was alone in a hotel room in the middle of the night and kind of jet lagged maybe a bit but mainly there was i i was just in a very noisy place and there was a bunch of people outside being merry and jolly and singing Mm -hmm. and screaming and i couldn't sleep and they were too loud and it was horrible i would have done anything to to just like shut the fuck up my worst experience in this in this realm is uh, I like one time got to Holland. I think it was outside of Amsterdam. They made me wait six hours to check into my room. And I'm sure the room was ready. They were just like, no, that's the time. It's two o'clock check in. We're not letting you in. You know, two o'clock comes and they finally let me in. And for whatever reason, the door doesn't really lock to my hotel room. So I'm like finally lying down. And the People from the hotel keep on opening the door and walking into my room, seeing me asleep, and then walking out and slamming the door behind me. And it happened like four times in one hour. Oh, my God. And I was like, I will kill you. (laughs) And I'm not a violent person, but I was like, I will kill you if you do that again. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm kind of neurotic about sleep now that I think of it. And, and, And you always travel with like throwing stars, which you can keep under your pillow so that if someone comes in, you can kill them. Right. Right. Yeah. I do have nunchucks with me. <laughs> no, but I, I was just thinking about this. Like, given how neurotic I am about sleep, one of the things that I find funny about myself is that I've never taken sleeping pills. Which sleeping pills are the best. Everybody around me on airplanes, you know, especially on business class, are asleep the moment it, we take off and on a night flight, and I'm like, they're taking sleeping pills, they aren't are. they? are. It's true. Could you explain that to me? Colin Powell once said that there was literally no way he could do his job as Secretary of State if it wasn't for Ambien. So I'm just so afraid of it. I want you to talk me into being a user. <laughs> like, I, I have friends <laughs> let, who got addicted to that some stuff. Drugs I'm just afraid. I guess maybe because sleep is so important to me, I'm just like, I don't want to fuck with my sleep. I mean, fucking with your sleep is what you do when you cross time zones on airplanes, right? right? I mean, that's true. Jet lag is fucking with your sleep. It is. Ambient is just a way of trying to marginally unfuck with your sleep. I feel like we're going to get a lot of users, right? Like listeners, like writing in saying, "Do not take Ambient." I mean, Ambient is dangerous, but what's dangerous think, about it? Um, I, I mean, there are two. There are two dangers to Ambient. One is that you like get up in in the middle of the night and start like saying crazy things to oh, that's not, stewardesses that's not so that like, oh god <laughs> um i can i can send you some text messages that my wife sent her best friend on ambient once which is just <laughs> hilarious but um but no the the real thing with ambient is just a question of how often do mm. you take it and how often do you travel I'm I'm pretty strict about I never take it when I'm traveling west. I only take it when I'm traveling east. Hmm. And I take it often. West is when you miss your night. If you're I in. never have a problem with jet tra- tra- like coming west. If I'm coming like back to New York from Europe, I don't have a problem with that. 
I, you know, I get up a little bit earlier than I normally right, would right, in New York, right, right. and I feel like that's awesome. I'm up early. I get yeah, that's to true. Do that's more. True. Yeah. yeah. Now I got confused for a second. Um, yeah. I so get I'm it. traveling east. I'll, I'll, I'll do a. I might take one on a pill on the plane. I will always take a pill the first full night that I spend in Europe, um, and often the second as well. Um, and it just helps get you on that schedule and helps you sleep through the night because otherwise, at least with me, I always wake up at like two or three in the morning wide awake and I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. And I hate myself. Yeah, it's bad. It's really bad. I have all sorts of complicated tricks because I don't use Ambien. And I think if you did that on the reg, if you were like taking it every week, you know, that would be really bad. But if I only travel, if I only do that kind of international travel a few times a year, it's okay. Is it a street drug? Is it one of those things like you get prescribed by the doctor and then you could sell your extras on the street? I've, I've never tried to sell my extras on the street. I do know that like there are certain countries, you know, if you go to like Chile or somewhere, mm-hmm. you can just like buy it over the counter. But, but you like, have to get a doctor. But here you need a prescription. Okay. Yeah, I'm not going to do it. I just, it, it just scares me. It scares I have to me. say I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit like, I'm always a little bit sort of going up to my doctor and saying, can I have an ambience prescription? <laughs> He's like, Sure, but I'm like, I you know I feel like so bad even asking because yeah. it's just it's just for. I mean, it does help me function. Otherwise, right. I'm just a zombie. I am a zombie. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Although one of the weird things about business travel is that I find that when you are in the conference, yeah, um, or if you're up there on stage giving your speech, um, or if you're mingling with the crowd and someone's talking to you like somehow that kind of sensory overload and nervousness and intensity it makes whatever tiredness you feel like kind of just disappear oh absolutely you just don't notice it at all and that's why this the teaching that's why the talking circuit exists i mean as it does right if if everybody were like really incapable of functioning after jet lag then it wouldn't work but but this miracle happens right before you go on stage in front of you know 2000 people you know which is like you basically shit your pants right you know and you i personally i'll just run to the bathroom and then after that i'm just like i am awake right now and i will give my talk and be completely wide awake for the question and answer period afterwards and then I'll, then i'll resume zombiehood immediately immediately it takes me 30 to 60 minutes to for my heart to start beating at a normal level okay okay usually i have tra- time for one glass of white wine <laughs> or two or two can we talk about alcohol a little bit more let's talk about because alcohol I, because I, that's actually a much more dangerous drug than Ambien and that's probably why I should switch to Ambien but my, my like, I so first of all you mentioned just now that like we what we do to ourselves actually makes things worse by drinking more but we do it anyway and I feel like that's that's the that is the weird thing about alcohol like also I read that um, you get more drunk when you're in an airplane drinking than if you were on the land drinking. And you're yet, basically you're at altitude. You're complied with alcohol. You, 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 it's the same. And the, the pressure inside an airline cabin is the same as the air pressure at 10,000 feet. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it does a couple of things. Number one is it kind of deadens your taste buds. Mm-hmm. So that's why everyone orders tomato juice on airplanes. Oh, it's because really? it's like salty and umami and they want that kind of hit because they can't taste, taste good, anything though. else. Uh, <laughs> it's but, probably why I can drink gin and tonic so much in an airplane but not on land because I'm like, man, that's nasty. You know, your taste on, in airplanes is totally different from your hmm. taste on land. 
Yeah, that's I don't understand it, but it's true. So I read an article about this uh, this idea that somebody had, which is that alcohol is a bad idea on airplanes, and we should make it, we should ban it. Ban it. I know, and there were all these like good thought thoughtful reasons about how it's too effective and how people get over drunk and then they had to be removed and all these fights that happen that wouldn't be happening otherwise. And I was left feeling like, on the one hand, that that argument makes a lot of sense, and on the other hand. It would be chaos if there was no alcohol on 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 fly on 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 airplanes because like everyone I know, that's how they get through it. It's like a slog. It's a psychological problem. So they- one of, one of the things I always I, I see quite often on Twitter is people asking, you know, writing these sort of quasi rhetorical questions, saying, "I'm in such and such an airport at 8.30 in the morning and there's all these guys lined up drinking whiskeys. Like, why are they drinking whiskey at 8.30 right. in the morning? Right. And Someone always says it's happy hour somewhere. Yeah, I don't Yeah, I, I mean, that's that's the obvious answer. But it's not that it's, at all. Yeah, it's not that. It, what is it? It's an existential angst. It's absolutely like the f- just, I can't believe I am here. I'm in an airport. I'm in the most sterile, uninteresting, like, Angsty, angst-ridden place in the universe, and there's nobody I can cry to. Okay. On on which <laughs> note, I think I think we're going to leave it right there and come back and talk about some tough economic questions. Sounds good. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to three percent daily cash on every purchase every day. That's three percent on your favorite products at Apple. Two percent on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hello, I'm Imi Harper. On the slow newscast from Tortoise, I tell the story of how a Hong Kong billionaire was silenced. I got bombs thrown into my house. I got people camp here, ransack my computer. And I, I got people threatening me. I got this and that, but I'm safe. And what it reveals about the freedoms Hong Kong no longer enjoys. Listen to Hong Kong's Rebel Billionaire on the Slow Newscast, wherever you get your podcasts. The last thing I want to ask you is this whole idea of optimization oh yeah so you're an, you're an optimizer i am and i feel i'm i'm an anti-optimizer oh okay i feel like optimization is what causes all of these problems that people are trying to squeeze oh. too much stuff into too little time and that it you know they wind up not giving themselves the natural sort of breathing room that you need in order to be able to function effectively um, so you have, but you. But wouldn't you just optimize. say they're optimizing to the wrong thing? No, I just think. I mean, I think you you want to just have waste. I think waste is good. Waste, Your, is waste good. of time is good. Waste mm-hmm. of money is less good, but it's also. <laughs> but especially if you're <laughs> not, if, fun. if it's someone else's money, it's fine. Right. <laughs> I mean, Fair that, so like when you when you do your speaking gigs and, yeah. and they put you up in obviously like some glamorous, probably a conference hotel since it's invariably at the yes, conference. Sometimes it's pretty nice. Um, in South Korea, it was crazy. How much like how much do you sort of indulge in like minibar craziness? 
Quite a lot. <laughs> Quite a lot. But I think that's more nature the nature of traveling and being jet lagged, which is that you get there and it's 4 p.m. And you really should just take a shower and go to dinner, but you can't because you're exhausted. So instead, you just take a quick nap. And then when you wake up, it's midnight and everything's closed. And you're like, oh, my God, I haven't eaten anything. And all I have is peanut butter crackers and this mini bar. And I don't want to finish my peanut butter crackers before, <laughs> like, the last three days of my journey. So, how, how many peanut butter crackers do you travel with? Depends on the length of my trip. It's per, it's like a per, how, how many days is my trip? All right, so how many per day? It's like day? two packages per day. And how many peanut butter crackers per package? Six. Six, okay. So like a dozen crackers a day. I mean, yeah. Is a good, is a good like Cause diet. Because like 12 crackers is a, is a small meal. And if, you know, if you find yourself once a day being like, oh, I'm inappropriately hungry and there's nothing I can do except eat these crackers, then that's, that's what you do. It's a lifesaver. It's like not very good, I had to tell you. <laughs> but that's actually how I've optimized it. So it's like if it were really good, I'd probably go crazy and eat all my crackers, right? So it can't be really delicious. Well, maybe you could just pack more in that case. Well, but, you, you know, you don't want to overeat either. You don't want to overeat the snack There food. is such a thing as too many peanut butter crackers. There really is. There really is. So it's kind of this, how I've optimized this is that it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and in a pinch, it's pretty good. And that's sort of, it's for the pinches, which happen pretty frequently. I think what you do, is it seems to me that what you're doing is you're you're doing two things. You're doing like naps which are awesome and we love and yep. you're doing like the food version of naps which is you yeah. know have a few sort of peanut butter crackers and you just become a cat basically you live on this weird sort of accelerated time loop i was the the, the craziest travel i ever did was that one where i i blogged about it about the over travel guide where i went from new york to virginia to barcelona to madrid to seoul south korea to paris back to new york and when by the time I got to Seoul, I was so confused. I was like so confused that it was otherworldly. I wouldn't even call it jet lag anymore. It was like, I feel like, do you remember that movie called Lost in Translation? Oh, totally. That's a great movie. But that's, my favorite... that's the Park Hyatt in Tokyo. That's a legendary hotel. Wow. Well, that's not where I was going. <laughs> where I was going was that it had that kind of like mood. You know that kind. Of, it, yeah, that's what I remember about that movie. Every, it's like the yeah, whole movie some, takes place in this sort of haze of jet lag. Haze. It was like the haze of jet lag. Like the it's truly foreign. You really feel like you're in a foreign place when you're there. I mean, partly is was that I was actually in South Korea. That was also part of it. And how long were you there? Um, I was there for like three days, but I was completely wrong schedule wise. So I was awake all night and and. Wanting to nap or napping all day, except for my talks. And, and I had two, um, what's the word, press conferences. Wow. Um, and it was really, it was also otherworldly because the conversations I had with the journalists there were so good. And of course, they were translated. Mm -hmm. So they were very slow. It's like I had to like they I would say something they would the translator would say it and they would answer and then the translator would and it would take long time to have these conversations. Um, but the questions were so deep. And I, I really think it's because they they're think about technology and the sort of the hostility and sort of threat of technology in a way 
that we cannot understand because we don't live close to North Korea. We don't live close to, to China. And the, chi- the sort of Chinese social credit score is a real thing for them. And their surveillance state. It's so It was so fascinating. So I would go from this like um, binge watching, you know, uh, Star Trek, the new Star Trek thing on Netflix straight into a news conference where I was being asked these really <laughs> incredible questions, really thoughtful. And then as soon as that was over, I'd like go straight back to sleep. And it, it was just like a weird existence for like three days. And did you eat... Amazingly well, it was this a peanut butter cracker type thing. It was thing. the best freaking food I've ever had. I got to say, like, that that hotel I stayed at was probably the nicest hotel I've ever been to. Okay, so what made it nice? Well, it was sort of like at the top of a hill in the equivalent of, like, Central Park, but for Seoul. And it was, so it was really isolated, which wasn't great, because my my actual goal, as you might have imagined, was to go to karaoke in, like, Gangnam <laughs> neighborhood. Right. Like, and I was like, oh, it's right close to Gangnam on the map, but it was actually impossible to get to, because I, I didn't trust myself to, like, walk there and back. And I couldn't figure out whether I could take a taxi and pay and stuff like that. So, and I didn't have any friends, so... There I am, stuck in the hotel. Um, but the hotel was amazing. They had, like, for example, an actual harpist at the breakfast buffet. <laughs> like, a person playing the harp. I do think that the one thing that you really get when you do business travel that you don't get at home, and I, I, and I generally agree that for all the luxury of business travel, like, most of the time you're really better off just staying at home and, you know, watching Netflix. But the one thing you get is the most amazing breakfast. You get the, these huge the breakfasts and you've eaten breakfast and you're insane. set for the day. It was, you know, I had a, a stomach surgery. Um, so my stomach is the size of a banana. I can't eat very much. The only moment of regret I've had since my surgery <laughs> was at the buffet at this place called, it was called the Shilla Hotel. And the food they had, the buffet was like every imaginable Chinese food you've ever had, thought of, all the Korean foods you've ever heard of. And then they had this area which was like French pastries. And it was the best French pastries I've ever had. I went to Paris right after that and I was like, these pastries suck compared to the ones in Seoul. Korean pastry is so good. How do they do it? All of the food was insane. So yeah, I regret my stomach surgery just for that trip, <laughs> but not really. Kathy. Felix. We always love having you on Slate Money. I, I love being here. I I need to ask, are you are you um now that you have this peripatetic existence, this mm-hmm. is this is something you've chosen for yourself, right? Or is this like a downside of your job? It's actually it fits pretty well with my I mean, you know, I'm actually writing another book, you know, so I'm I and writing a book, especially in the phase that I just ended, which was like thinking, just literally thinking. And doing research and like listening to books on tape and reading books, all that stuff can happen while you travel. There's a lot of space. There's a lot of wasted space, which you'll appreciate. I appreciate that. When you're traveling. Um, and so it's been actually, and, and loneliness, and loneliness is good for thinking too. So it's, it's actually been pretty useful to me as a lifestyle. Now, obviously, the downside is that I haven't seen my family as much as I'd like to. So um, I've, I'm looking forward to slowing down a little bit. Um, but it, it has it has been good. I we are going to have you back when you have the new book out, obviously, awesome. because there's no way we couldn't. And 
until then, or until the next time the spirit moves you, because you know you're always welcome oh, thank to you. come on any time. I love the idea of just crashing. You should money. totally just crash. <laughs> we, we did that a few weeks ago. We had Charles Duhigg was in the studio next awesome. door, and he just crashed in and started being awesome. That is amazing. So anytime you want to crash, I know that we're in Brooklyn now, so it's unlikely. Dude, I've been, I came here for months and months. You can do it once. Yes, I can do it. Crash anytime. If there's any, like... Any kind of update, sort of timely article or, or news event surrounding sex robots, then you'll you'll be sure to see me. Okay, yeah. So we will we will have the sex robot edition yeah. with Kathy O'Neill at some point soon. In the meantime, I mean the second one. We already had it once. <laughs> well, I think we've had at least two or three. <laughs> so next time, Kathy O'Neill will be on Slate Money talking sex robots. For the meantime, thank you for coming in. My pleasure. Thank you for sharing your travel tips and telling us that you. Really don't like the whole really, glamour of I never got travel. to my tips, to be honest, Felix. <laughs> but I'll let that pass. Well, uh, so, but your tips are all there on mathbabe.org. That's true, that's true. Should people, we will have a link in the show notes. They're pretty precise, too. I mean, they're pretty concrete. It's it's all to do with, like, underwear and stuff. No, not at all. Oh, my God. Did I, you read my barely, blog? <laughs> do I read your blog? Take the fifth it, on that one. I think it was, there was, like, a, it was two things. It was, like, how to pack. Yeah. So there were pretty precise suggestions. Did you, like, Marie Kondo that shit? A little bit, a yeah. little bit. Um, and then the other part was like how to think, how to not be miserable, existential. How to, how to open yourself up to strangers open and strange and con- conversations. Yes. Open and connected. Yeah, it's, it's all, it's, I'm all about it. Or at least I'm going through the – I'm still in the phase about open and connected. Pretty soon I'll be back to my same old nasty self. It'll just be in, in your, you know, heads down actually writing the book. <laughs> That's happening. Yeah. So, yeah, so thank you for coming and thank you for listening. And the email address is still slatemoney at slate.com. If you want to send us an email and request anything else for this weird and wonderful travel extra series that we are doing, send us an email, make the subject line Ambien. Ambien. That's a good one, or anything thereabouts. If you want to send Kathy some Ambien and get her to try it. <laughs> um, Caro Felix. Get, get, just send it, send it to Kathy O'Neill, Caro's Schiphol Airport. <laughs> She'll find it. Um, and yeah, we'll be back next week with more Slate Travel. Slate Money.